Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner, joined by our Red Wings beat reporter Ted Coffin. Coming up, we'll hear from Saginaw Spirit GM Dave Drinkle. Saginaw won the OHL lottery and drafted 15-year-old phenom Michael Misa. But first, Ted, the NHL lottery. This Tuesday, live on ESPN at 630 We have lots of Red Wings news to get to, the coaching change, the search for a new coach, the exit interviews, but the lottery, it's sure going to be must-watch TV for Wings fans. Detroit has just a 12% chance of winning the lottery, but just for a second, Ted, what if the Wings moved up like the Saginaw Spirit? They moved up and added Michael Misa, a budding superstar. What if centers Shane Wright or Logan Cooley we're added to the depth chart, so a year down the road or so, Wright, Larkin, Rasmussen, add that to Raymond Sider, Edvinson. After all the bad luck in the lottery, Ted, what if they actually got good luck? Sure. I mean, obviously, that would be a dramatic mm-hmm. infusion of talent into the organization. Uh, I think you're right. What is it, like 9 or 12% I saw? They have, it's less sure. than 10, I believe, I, from what I remember. But... Uh, I mean, you're hoping for the best. I mean, I know they are. I mean, obviously, they haven't had very much luck in the in the lottery. From what I gather, they're, I haven't really studied it that closely yet, but it is top-heavy. There's some good talent there at mm-hmm. the top. Uh, they've been, but let's face it, they've been fortunate here in the four, five, and six range, adding people like Lucas Raymond and Edmondson and Sider. You can find good yes. premier talent anywhere in that top ten, usually anywhere in the first round. <laughs> Let's face it, there's always Brad Marchant in the fourth round or Patrice Bergeron's <laughs> sure, in the second yes. round. So you, there's talent to be had. Um, it's always an exciting day for fans, obviously. Fans love this. Let's see what happens. I mean, they haven't had much luck before. Maybe their fortunes will change this time around. Ted, let's turn our attention now to the coaching change. Two clips from GM Steve Eiserman. The first one, here he explains why he parted ways with Jeff Blaschel after seven years as coach in Detroit, the last three years under his leadership. I guess ultimately uh, to make a coaching change or to make that to take that decision, I felt – you know, a team fundamentally that we'd kind of, I don't know if even plateaued is the right word, but uh, we'd gotten to a point where um, you know, fundamentally with and without the puck, we had regressed. Um, and, you know, we're at a point now where I felt like, okay, I've got to see, you know, bringing in a new coach, a new coaching staff, um, can make a difference to get us back on track, to get us going in the right direction. And so ultimately, I guess that is the the simplest or biggest reason I make the change. Ted, Steve Eisman used words there like plateaued, regressed without the puck. The Wings had that strong first half. They were four games over 500. The high water mark after Marit Sider scored that goal at Little Caesars Arena to beat the Islanders in overtime. But then ultimately... They wound up eight games under 500. All the issues we've discussed, offensive problems, trades at the deadline, Verona's injury, goaltending problems in early January and February, the worst penalty killing in the league, a tougher schedule, the minus 82 goal differential in 82 games. 
you covered Jeff Blaschel, Ted, for those seven years, and you've heard all the positive things said about Blaschel, his character, his teaching ability, his patience, even his calm demeanor when things were falling apart. So was this the right move? And what's in store for Jeff Blaschel after this month's World Championships? Well, we've talked about it a lot, Mark. I think we all saw the handwriting on the wall. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. was shocked by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it, it, it is kind of exactly like the way Eiserman said. They had plateaued. They'd regressed, regressed with, and without, with and without the puck. Um, I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was just time for a new voice. I, I bet you deep down Jeff Blaschel understood that too. Going forward... I do think he's an NHL coach. I'm not sure he's going to get a job here in this particular cycle. Sure. Maybe in the next cycle or two. He's he's definitely shown he's a good communicator. The one the one loss record obviously it's going to it's attached to him, but you have to understand obviously this organization was deep 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 in a rebuild and I thought he handled himself in the, in the squad very well. I mean, it's like Eiserman said, this wasn't some, you know, sideshow or anything like that. He did a nice job. He made it a very professional program that speaks well of him. I think he'll get another shot. I, like I said, I just won't be in this particular mm-hmm. coaching cycle, maybe not even the next one, but I think there is some more head he is going to be another. He is going to be a head coach again in the NHL someday, I would think. Ted, the other Eiserman clip deals with the search for the 28th head coach in franchise history. Jeff Blaschel was the first American to lead the Red Wings. Here's what Eiserman said he's looking for now. All good coaches, all successful coaches, whether they're coaching junior hockey, college hockey, uh, any any of the top leagues at the top levels around the world. I don't think you necessarily define them in one particular, whether he's a defensive guy, an offensive guy, a player's coach or a militant coach, whatever. Good coaches adjust and they and they do what they have to do with the personnel that they have and find them a way to make it work. And, you know, you look at all the top teams in the league right now, they're all a little bit different. They all have their, you know, areas that they're really good at, but, uh, and, and areas that you, you know, Hey, there's the reason they may not win, but ultimately they're pretty balanced. And I wouldn't describe any of these top teams in the league today as having a, oh, he's strictly a defensive minded coach or he's an offensive minded coach. So uh, again, at the end of the day, good coaches, uh, you know, address, know what the needs of their team are and have certain standards and, and try to get their players to play to that. Ted, at the end there, Steve Eisenman said he's looking for a coach who has a certain hard to explain standards, standards that he didn't really expand on. Well, the following day, actually, he did a little bit on 97.1 FM, the ticket. He said the three best coaches he's played for were Scotty Bowman, Glenn Sather, and Mike Babcock. And the common trait there, Steve Eisenman said on the radio, was that they were all tough. They all had different personalities, he said. But they pushed and demanded, and he said there were days you wanted to, his quote, strangle the guy. Now, I'm sure Jeff Blaschel got under the skin of some players, but what type of coach do you think we'll see here in Detroit, Ted? And are there any candidates that you like better than others? That is a story that's coming up as well at DetroitNews.com. But what type of coach do you think we'll see? And are there any candidates right off the top that, uh, that come to mind? Well, definitely. I mean, obviously, the way he's been dropping hints, it is going to be a, more of a taskmaster than a 
and a player's first coach, so to speak. I think he's mm-hmm. going to be a guy who's going to push them and drive them. Um, I mean, there's some candidates out there like that that fit the profile. We'll see about that. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of traction already about the Tampa assistant coach, Benoit Gruel, evidently. I mean, obviously, he's got a relationship with him going back a lot of years. Lane Lambert, obviously. Uh, he's he's always been mentioned in these cycles as potential candidates. So he still has never had a kind of interesting, though, that, you know, he's been a career number two man to Barry Trot. So that kind of kind of makes you wonder whether he's had coaching timber after this many years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one guy that. You know, I keep going back to, and I understand it's a very, very slim chance. I, I even I had say it's about five or ten percent at most. But you do kind of kind of wonder about a Mike Babcock. I mean, they worked together often, obviously in the past, mm-hmm. coach and player, and coach and general manager. Is when Eiserman was a GM of the Team Canada. He fits the profile of what Eiserman's looking for, no question about it. What I doubt it'll happen because there is still so much baggage surrounding Babcock from the Toronto days. But you mm-hmm. do wonder when that'll dissipate. I mean, and you know, he's exactly what they want, probably need right mm-hmm. now. He's a proven yep. winner. I'll tell you, if you had twenty bones or fifty bones to lay at MGM Casino <laughs> or whatnot, I think that would be a good long shot to just to have in your hip pocket. I think it's a very interesting choice. Ted, before we hear from Captain Dylan Larkin, uh, let's listen now to our special guest, Dave Drinkle, GM of the Saginaw Spirit. Joining us now is the general manager of the Saginaw Spirit, Dave Drinkle, who announced a week ago he was selecting 15-year-old Michael Misa with the first overall pick of the Ontario Hockey League draft. Misa follows in the footsteps of NHL superstars Connor McDavid, John Tavares, and Aaron Ekblad, all of whom were granted this exceptional status tag to play in the OHL, which is a league for players between the ages of 16 and 21. Dave, welcome to the podcast. And Misa, he isn't really eligible for the NHL draft until 2025, but I can imagine the spirit, your team, your coach, Chris Lazarus, you're all beginning to imagine the advantages of having this exceptional player who Michigan hockey fans can watch for the next three years. Dave, what's it been like this past week? Oh, first off, thanks for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on. And, and it's been a real exciting week going back to, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we heard he was granted exceptional status, um, then headed into the draft lottery night where the bottom four teams in the OHL this year each had an equally um, chance equal 25% chance of getting the first pick. And, um, when our, our logo was flipped around, uh, we were definitely excited (laughs) because we knew we'd be adding a a player of his talent and his caliber into our, into our lineup. Now he's young, you know, he's 15 years old. He, he hasn't played above minor hockey, like any other minor hockey league player. And he's, he's gonna, you know, learn a lot and adjust to our league, but you know, to have his talent and and his skill for the next three years is real, real exciting for our, our franchise. Dave, for our Michigan hockey fans, can you sort of explain as best you can about this exceptional status? Your team wasn't involved. Families with young players like Michael Misa, they apply to like the Canadian Hockey League. In fact, Red Wing fans, Joe Volano was the only Quebec player to be granted exceptional status. And Connor Bedard was the only player out West, and he's the early favorite 
to go number one in the 2023 NHL draft. Now, you were with the Barry Colts when Ekblad joined the team as a 15-year-old, and you've had a bit of an opportunity to know what goes into the process. But how would you explain it for hockey fans here in the area why a player like this is allowed to play against older players? Yeah, so essentially a player we draft um, primarily from the U in Canada, it's the U16. Okay. Um, it's the players in grade 10 um, that are turning 16 that season. And, and every once in a while, and you know what, most years you do have a kid a year younger, a player a year younger, play a year up and play full time um, with players a year older than them. But that happens quite frequently, but they're not, you know, at the caliber to apply for this status. Like if you're going to play a year up, you have to be the best player okay. essentially on your team or one of the top players in the league and top players in the, in the province or, or country of that area to be able to be granted this and to apply. Now, every year there is players that do apply for this. Sometimes we hear of families that have applied and sometimes we don't. And we hear about it after and hockey Canada's job then is to evaluate the player on ice. Um, a big part of the job is evaluating him off the ice. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it and, and would he be able to handle it at such a young age and, and I know they go into the family house and they meet the parents and mm-hmm. just the whole package that, that goes with it I know the the players advisors play a big role and in this case Misa's advisors um, are the same advisors that had McDavid and Neckblad. Um so they've been through this process a few times leading into the OHL and and dealing with the OHL and Hockey Canada so I know it's a very rigorous process. They they ask a lot of questions, but a lot of it's judged by his on-ice ability because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you can apply to, to get this and get in, let in early, but it's a really prestigious thing and, and you have to be an elite hockey player and, and one of the best players of, of the age group above you um, to be able to pick. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of really sure. high-end players every year coming into our draft. And for an exceptional player to come in a year younger than that group of players, they need to be at the top of that group as well. So it's a very, very hard thing to do. And a very hard thing to achieve, and that's why Michael should be really proud to be, you know, in the names of those players you mentioned earlier. Dave, you talked about the on-ice ability. You probably saw Misa play. You told me twenty-five to thirty times. He played for this Mississauga Senators team. Fifteen of the sixteen players were drafted into your OHL this past weekend, and in that OHL Cup. Misa actually broke McDavid's record, putting maybe not more pressure, but he but Misa had 20 points in seven games, breaking McDavid's record. Now the Senators GM Mike James says that Misa he's got this, and that that final game with three goals and two assists was phenomenal. I'm just wondering what you saw in the skills of the centerman from Oakville. What is it about his game that uh, stands out to you, Dave? He's just so dynamic and so creative with the puck. And every time he's on the ice, he makes players with him better. Um, you know, that Mississauga team was a fun team to watch. And the reason we watched them so much is because it wasn't like you're going to watch one player. Like you mentioned, essentially the whole team got drafted. Um, so you have to keep going back and back to watch this team play because there's a lot of draft picks in, off that team. But uh, very dynamic with the puck, very skilled, fast, um, creative, very fun to watch. So he's one of those guys that when he picks the puck up and open ice, you kind of perk up a little bit because you think, you know, something's going to happen here with it. Um, but to me, the biggest thing for me is big players show up when it matters in big games. And, and Michael mm-hmm. showed up big in that last tournament and, and made a huge statement uh, that they weren't going to lose to the Junior Canadians on the OHL Cup final in, in front of a nationally broadcast game. And there's a lot of eyes on him. I know 
he hadn't been gotten granted exceptional status heading into that game. So I'm not sure if it was close or they just hadn't announced it or whatever, but he definitely made a statement of, you know, let me in, I earned this. And, and it was pretty impressive to watch. Dave, I mentioned those three players off the top. Ekblad, you were there. He was the OHL Rookie of the Year, a defenseman unlike the others. He had 10 goals, 19 assists. McDavid and Tavares, and even Wright, they averaged 36 goals and 36 assists in their first seasons in the league. And, of course, Dave, you're not going to put those kind of expectations on Misa, but I think you did say that you saw Misa fitting into your coach Chris Lazarus's puck possession type of game like a perfect round peg in a perfect round hole. And maybe you could tell us what you mean by a puck possession game. And while Michael Misa might really help your team elevate and, and, and potentially compete for an OHL title. Absolutely. And I think it <clears throat> different coaches in our league and in any league, they have different styles and different ways of mm-hmm. um, wanting to play the game. And, and Chris is phenomenal and, and his mind mindset and, and mine as well. And our scouts is try to get guys that fit his style and, Puck possession, we don't like to dump a lot of pucks in. If we do dump pucks in, it's with a, with a purpose for puck possession at the junior level and, and create ozone movement. And in order to play that style and, and that kind of flowing, skilled style, you need guys that are comfortable with the puck on their stick, comfortable making plays. And at the junior level, they do make mistakes, but it's up to us to allow these players to grow through these mistakes. So when they get into the NHL level or, or the American League or whatever it might be, um, that they're comfortable and they've learned what works and what doesn't work at the junior level. Because at the end of the day, we are a developmental mm-hmm. league and, and want to push these guys to the next level. So we need to give these guys all the tools we can to get them to be pro. And then at the pro level, then the coaches and GMs up there can decide what type of player they want to mold them in. But he'll already have a bunch of the tools playing our style of play. And we think in junior hockey, it's a fun style. The crowd loves it. Um, we score a lot of goals. We give up some chances that we need to clean up once in a while. But um you know, he's a perfect fit, like I said, because he's so creative and so his vision and IQ is off the charts and players players on the ice of them better be ready because they'll get the puck to them in, in spots where they think they weren't going to get it. You know, I also talked, Dave, to Michael Mises' coach uh, in Mississauga, Chris Stevenson, and he doesn't like comparables, comparables, but he said that Misa reminds him of a playmaking center like Jack Hughes, who played here in Michigan and Plymouth and was the number one overall pick of the New Jersey Devils in 2019. And Chris said that Michael is an electric player. He's fast. He's shifty, a great playmaker. He plays a gritty game. He has a growth spurt, he said, after COVID. And he said he likes to play in the corners. What do you think fans can expect to see, though? Because there'll be a maturation process right over the three years that he's expected to be in your lineup and playing in Saginaw. What, what can fans expect uh, when they come out and watch and uh, watch Michael Misa in Saginaw? I think Chris and his coach kind of hit it on the head. <clears throat> um, what fans okay. can expect, you know, his dynamic ability, again, the bringing it to the seat, the, the competitiveness. He's the complete package of a hockey player, and, that, and that's why he got granted the exceptional status. He, he's not really mi- missing anything in his toolbox. You know, it's up to us to sharpen those tools for him a bit and, and obviously there's an adjustment to our league. There always is for young players um, coming into the OHL and playing against men now. Um, but they're going to love watching him play. He's going to do things, make passes play, uh, fans don't see on the ice, make passes that we don't see. Um, he's just that dynamic. And you kind of look at what Perfetti did when he was here and, and, and he was only here for that short time because of COVID. But you get a kind of guy like him coming in and, and Michael. And I think Jack Hughes comparison is good, and I, I don't like making comparisons on players, but definitely a guy that when I when I watch Michael play, I do think of Jack Hughes a little bit, um, for sure. 
any other final thoughts on on Michael himself uh, at the press conference uh, at the Dow Events Center? There was a lot of fans there. It was packed. There were journalists there asking him questions. Michael Misa will wear number 77. He wore 66 in Mississauga. I know you're not part of the marketing or the business side, but I'm just wondering, uh, it's only been a week, Dave, but I'm just wondering, certainly there might be some thought to, uh, you're promoting the team, of course, because the Saginaw spirit, you won a couple of titles since you've been there. You've had nine years with Barry. You've had seven years now where you're at. So it's the team first. What can we expect to perhaps see down the road? Well, I think first off, the press conference and the turnout in our community was amazing. Um, okay. You know, our business staff knocked it out of the park with how it, all, how it all ran and the amount of media that was there and the fans that showed up. And, you know, I, I figured it would be a busy press conference. And I walked with Michael out of the back and kind of we walked through the doors to see how many people were there. He kind of looked at me and said, oh, my gosh. And, and I said, so, OK, Michael, we got this. We'll do this together. But. I was so impressed with him and, and how he spoke in front of all those people. This is a 15-year-old boy talking in front of, you know, probably 300 people, 350 people that are all eyes are on him. And I thought he spoke phenomenally well, confident, so grateful and humble. And, and that's a credit to how he's been raised by his family and, and his parents, Frank and Sandra. They're phenomenal people. Um, but in terms of marketing, like, I think a lot of eyes will be on Saginaw here for the next few years. And that's just how it is right. when you have an exceptional player. Shane Wright and Kingston, everybody knows about the Kingston Frontenacs right now. When McDavid was in Erie, the same thing. I think fans across Canada, I think fans in the United States, they know there has been a young player granted exceptional status into a junior league a year early. Um, and so they will be coming to check him out or tuning in to check him out. And it's up to us to make sure he's in a safe place. Make sure we help him grow off the ice, more importantly than on the ice, to be able to handle everything. Um, but he's a very, very mature young man, again, who's very humble and comes from a great family. And, and I'm real confident that he's going to handle it properly and, and do great things here. And finally, Dave, two quick questions with uh, Red Wings Connections. Jimmy Devolano and Chris Osgood are part owners, are not around the team a lot. I'm just wondering, any thoughts about Devolano and Osgood with your Saginaw spirit? Uh, Jimmy D has been a great mentor and turned into a really extremely close friend of mine. Um, I've got to know him real well over the years and, and he's somebody that I lean on for advice and, and we talk every, every few weeks he's down in Florida. I go down there once a year and usually visit him and, and go for dinner and catch up. So to speak on Jimmy, he's been a, a real, real tight friend of mine and really helped me through a lot of things here because he, he's a wealth of knowledge, right? And mm. more importantly, not just hockey, he's a great man and, has really helped me out in my career and and Ozzy's, Ozzy's a phenomenal guy as well a little bit maybe more removed not up here as much as, as Jimmy maybe was or, or I don't talk to Ozzy as much but a, a great person somebody that can call if I need on anything at all and always picks up the phone and um, just we're really blessed to have those guys part of our organization. And you mentioned Shane Wright earlier of the Frontenacs. Uh, Shane was a guest on the podcast earlier this year he's ranked number one the number two ranked prospect Logan Cooley was a guest on our podcast as well. But Shane Wright, Dave, the NHL lottery is next Tuesday at 6.30 on ESPN, and it's unlikely the Wings are going to get number one or two, but there's a 12% chance. So having seen Shane Wright play for a couple of years, I would just like your opinion, again, not trying to put on the pressure of Shane Wright jumping in right away, but certainly a first-line potential center where the Wings could slot players like Dylan Larkin and Pew Suter and Michael Rasmussen 
it's unlikely, but what happens if the Red Wings, what kind of player do you think they'll get in Shane Wright? Well, ultimately, if that's who <clears throat> Mr. Eiserman decides to pick at one, if the trade does win the lottery, and I know it is, a, it is a slim chance, but I look back to our lottery a few weeks ago, and we only had a <laughs> exactly. 25% chance that we had the same percent chance number four as we did one, and, and we ended up winning it. So somebody has to win the lottery, and I know it's not the most great, like, fun thing for GMs and organizations to go through, but I think for fans, they really enjoy that lottery night, and I know sure. I'll be sitting in next week the NHL lottery, but in terms of Shane Ray, if that's ultimately who Detroit would pick, he's a complete hockey player. He's a leader. He'll be a captain one day, I believe, in the NHL. He works hard every shift. He's not your dynamic, flies around. When you think of like a McDavid, that's who you think of that sure, way. Shane sure. Ray's more of a Patrice Bergeron guy who will put up a, a bunch of numbers in the NHL and, and also be that two-way guy and the leader and the guy you want you know, kind of in the trenches when you're going for it. I think he's a phenomenal hockey player, phenomenal young man from everything. I've I've only met him once, but phenomenal young man from everything I've heard about him and what he does in the community in Kingston. And I think he's deserving to be up there. And another player that shows up in big games, you look at their first round series the other night, who scored the game winner to eliminate Oshawa in, in game six is Shane Wright. Hmm. Me, the best players and the, the most talented players show up when it matters. And and those are the guys you want in your organization. Dave, thanks again for your time today talking to us about Michael Misa and what hockey fans in Michigan can expect to see in Saginaw in the next three years. All the best with the spirit as you continue your quest for that OHL title, another OHL title, and eventually down the road, the Memorial Cup. No, I appreciate it, and I hope to see a lot of uh, Detroit fans up here in Saginaw because uh, he's definitely somebody you got to make the trip to watch and come watch play. Our thanks again to Dave Drinkle. Now let's listen to the captain of the Red Wings, Dylan Larkin. Here's your question, Ted, to Larkin about the team's second-half collapse and what has to be done to prevent a defensive meltdown again. Why don't you think it just ever clicked on the defensive side of things? I mean, it seemed like you guys struggled as the year went on, too. I mean, any rhyme or reason for it? Uh, I talked about communication a lot. Uh especially after some some tough losses and um you know i watched the playoffs last night and just you, you watched the, the teams that that are there you know the, the six teams and i think about how how they play and and you know they they don't they work together so well by by communicating and moving the puck when when they're going back for pucks on breakouts and they get out of the zone pretty quick and and when they do get stuck there, they're they're all talking and pointing and, and screaming at each other. So I think as a young team, we, we, we lacked in that and there wasn't a lot of talk out there. And, and um, you know, I think guys have to learn that the more you talk, the more it just helps everyone out. Ted, you heard Larkin there talking about needing better communication on the ice, better players, bigger players would certainly help. But what realistically can be done in free agency, the draft? We talked about Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. They're long shots if the wings are going to move up in the draft lottery on Tuesday. Edvinson's on the horizon. You mentioned Kosa. Maybe some tweaking here and there, a different coach. They'll be better defensively, probably. But can they take one more step to 500 hockey next year and compete against the Bruins who are kind of fading in the playoffs? And then, of course, you'll probably concede the top spots to the Lightning Hurricanes and Maple Leafs. What are your thoughts about, realistically, what can be done, Ted? Our, our quick first look through the offseason, we'll be discussing this. But what are your thoughts about Larkin, what he said, and 
will will this team really be a 500 team or better next year? Yeah, there's a chance, obviously, Mark. But yeah. you got to admit, my friend, it's it's gonna. There's still a lot of work to be done here. I mean, you you know, you always people always dream about free agency and who's going to be, you know, what big stars are going to come here. Well, first off, most of those type of players get re-signed. Secondly, I don't think they'll consider the Detroit Red Wings currently as a top destination either. Right, so, right. And not to mention the fact, do you really, you know, do you really want to tie your fortunes of a seven and eight year contract to a 26, well, 28, 29, 30 year old? I don't think this team would really want to do that right now. So it's tricky. I think there'll be more use the you use the word tweak. I think there will be more tweaking and okay. more guys that are I think are signed to two year contracts or whatnot. And you know, maybe hate to say it, but probably dealt at the trade deadline in a year or two. I think they're getting closer. I think obviously the Kaiserman's saying they're building through the draft. They're doing a good job of it. I mean, you you know, you got these siders and the Raymonds. Edvinson's supposed to I think will be on the roster in October and evidently he's going to be a big help for this guy. You figure Berggren might be coming up from Grand Rapids, so that's another potential piece. And just the infusion of a new coach. I mean, and just new voice, new ideas. I think that usually works, you know, a little bit, and the team gets better that way. I think they have a chance, obviously, to get closer mm-hmm. to 500, but still think a, a, play, a playoff berth or anything like that is going to be a long shot next season because that would just take – I just don't see how that's going to be possible yet, but I do see a chance, obviously, to get mm-hmm. some, get better next season for sure. Ted, one follow up question: In hindsight, let's say the Wings, I don't think they were going to give Phil Deneau six years, thirty three million, a ten team no trade, five point five million. Instead, Iserman picked up Pew Suter for about three and a half million. But I think that's a good example of do the Wings really need – well, they need a player perhaps like Phil Deneau. The Kings, they had 99 points. Todd McClellan actually would have been a great hire by Steve Iserman. He won a cup here in 2008. He ran the power play seven years in San Jose, three in Edmonton. And that Kings team, every time I've heard McClellan interviewed, uh, Ted, and he's just 54 years old – it's all about defense, defense, defense. Now, he had Kopitar and Quick and Doughty. It would be like the Wings at the end if they had, say, Zetterberg and Cronwall and Howard. So they, they have some advantages. But that's one of the best coach, best defensive teams, plus three goal differential. They had a better record on the road with Deneau. That's something that could the Wings have gone after and given all that money to a player that who knows in the right system, the right, does that make sense, dad? Like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Mark. Yeah, I really yeah, don't exactly. think he was on the radar at all. I don't think that's the type of player they were looking in. You figure the Kings were probably a little, obviously a little further ahead of the Red Wings in their rebuild. I mean, yeah. they're chock full of prospects in the minor league system. And you've seen quite a few of them graduate to the NHL, but uh, yeah, I've always said, I mean, he's a good coach. There's no question. He's done a nice job in several places. Yeah. Timing just wasn't right, though, Mark. Timing just wasn't right, and no, I mean, no, I don't think that's. I think right now, you people are talking about, it and you would, you can understand it. A guy like Andrew Cop would be a nice fit for this team. Yes, yes. But I mean, do you really foresee the Rangers letting him go? Um, I, I, I kind of think they'll, they'll move. 
hell and high water to keep him for the because of the way he fits in there. So you know that's the one guy coming off the board right there. So it's difficult. I mean, everything's got to the yeah. timing has to be right. It's got to be a good fit. The term has to be good. There's a lot of variables involved. So we'll just wait in a couple months to do that show. But yeah, it's it's a it's a tough fact. Yeah. It's a tough what it's a tough yeah thing projecting what the lineup could look like at this point. And finally, Ted, just a quick comment on the playoffs, just on the record, your predictions uh, in the East, Boston, Pittsburgh, Florida, Tampa Bay in the West, Colorado, Minnesota, Calgary, Edmonton. Any quick observation, Ted, as we wrap up about the first couple nights or so of these? I've been very impressed with Carolina. I mean, obviously, if Boston doesn't win tonight, that could be a quick series. I've been very – I didn't think Carolina – I don't know. I just, there's still something about that squad I wasn't totally sold on, but boy, they've been impressive as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, tell you what, I don't know, Mark. Uh, Pittsburgh has looked pretty good. I did pick Pittsburgh, but they mm-hmm. even looked a little better than I thought they would against the Rangers. Calgary and Dallas, boy, what a tough series that is, isn't it? Jeez, Bulls <laughs> are at a premium there. And I know I think I picked Edmonton, but boy, yep. like you said just now, that Los Angeles squad. They're playing with house money at this point. I would be very scared of Los Angeles right now in that first round. Sure. Ted, uh, thanks again for your time. And that'll do it uh, for episode 70 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast, Octopulse, taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild under Steve Eiserman. Year three of the rebuild, as he said, is now over. Ted's stories are available online at DetroitNews.com. His grades are coming out in Monday's paper. You can also find online coverage as well as check out our Octopulse Facebook page on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Ted and I will be back during the playoffs with Red Wings updates. <laughs>